everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Therapy and Theology Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, T.C. Long. And I'm Eric Johnson. Today, we are going to be talking about feelings and how we experience feelings. Um, this comes from a question that Eric received a little while ago. So, Yeah, and the, quest- the question is, how do you determine what you're feeling or how you should react to something? I find it difficult to read my own feelings sometimes and end up acting very apathetic. So this question is very loaded, huh? It's got a lot of uh, things in it. Right. And one, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you said that you had like a, a real brief, like 30 second answer for (laughs) part of the question. Yeah. I guess the brief 30 second answer is, um, is this part is, uh, how do you determine? So the first part, you could break this down. How do you determine what you're feeling would be one question. How should you react to something? So you're assuming that there's a right way to react. So that's another question. How do I find it? I find it difficult to read my own feelings. That's another one. And I end up acting very apathetic. So that's another aspect in itself. So the first part, how do you determine what you're feeling? Well, yeah, my brief answer to that is that uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, the <laughs> key is, yeah, the key is you get to determine what you're feeling. Our bodies will react uh, chemically to a situation, and then it is our mind that decides, that interprets that chemical reaction as uh, as happy or sad or lonely or irritable or and it's a it's an abstract determination that we assign to it. Okay, so it's not. Yeah, go ahead. So basically, we decide what it is that we're feeling. We just kind of give it our our own name. Yeah, we name it. We decide it, and we might decide something differently. Mm-hmm. That's why, like every teenager, has a hard time with, "Am I in love?" <laughs> because. <laughs> They don't know. Am I going to assign it that name or not assign it that name? Well, you know, I I think one other factor of this is that a lot of people don't have a big vocabulary when it comes to feelings. Usually when I would work, when I used to work with adolescents and teens a lot, and I would ask them, you know, what's going on, how they're feeling, they would respond with either one of three emotions either they're happy or they're sad or they're angry. And those were the three main ones, or they would just say, I'm fine. Um, which was probably more common. I think a lot of people just kind of have this limited vocabulary of, of what it is they're, they're feeling. And they either lump it as either they're, they're happy or they're sad or they're angry. Do you think it's a vocabulary problem or an introspective problem? I would go with vocabulary, but what do you think? Well, now that you brought it up, I would say both. I think a lot of people don't take the time to really be introspective and figure out, you know, what it is, what is it I'm actually feeling? Am I really angry or am I, am I just irritated at somebody and that's coming out as anger or am I really angry? But beneath that, I'm, I'm depressed or sad over a particular issue. I see that the happy, sad and mad feelings is kind of like the the mask that people display to the world but underneath that there's really more stuff going on 
I know some people will talk about primary and secondary emotions. Yes. Where primarily they feel, let's say, embarrassed, mm-hmm. but they react to the secondary emotion of, I'm just going to be angry without recognizing that I felt embarrassed first. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then the beauty in that, oh, so I guess we should talk about that first. So a primary emotion is, like I said, um, feeling what you feel before you react to something. Um, So like if you find yourself getting mad because you can't put the, uh, the toddler bed together that you just bought from Walmart, then um, you can notice that primarily you felt frustrated and so you reacted with anger and the frustration is the primary emotion and that's the one you need to deal with. Mm-hmm. And then for my point where you get to choose how you feel, the beauty of it is um, you can decide that you're not angry about uh, the situation. You can decide that you're frustrated or you can decide that it's irritating or you can decide that you're sad that you have the inability to put the bed together or follow the instructions in Chinese. Um, You know, it's your choice to decide what it is or not. I think that's a little empowering Mm -hmm. because uh, it gives you the ability to... uh, assign yourself an emotion that you can work with. So many people say, once I'm angry, it's over. I can't stop it. Well, you can decide what to do um, based on how you assign it, what you decide, how you're feeling. So it's a difference. And if you want to feel sad because you can't read Chinese and put the bed together, then there's a different way of dealing with that than if you decide to feel frustrated because you feel stupid or frustrated because you can't put it together at all, um, then you deal with that a different way. And how you look at it changes the antidote, the solution that you apply to it. Okay, so so can we back up a second? Yeah. What is, how, how do people make that decision? Because I've worked with a lot of people on on anger issues and they tell me I go from being calm to being explosively angry in an instant it's like a trigger reaction and they don't there is no pause where they decide okay this is making me angry i'm going to explode now they just go from being calm to exploding so if you take that that's how you feel right that's how everybody feels it's out of my control i just go from calm to exploding right so what you want to what you want to do is you want to take it and you want to break it down into the teeniest, tiniest components you can possibly break it down into. So, for instance, um, oh, I dropped a glass of, of I dropped a glass and it shattered on the floor, right? And I exploded. That's the general complaint right there. Mm-hmm. So you want to break it down. I dropped the glass. I saw the glass fall. As I saw it fall. I felt uh, apprehension, or I felt whatever you want to call it. I felt anxiety. I felt apprehension. I felt a fate of doom. Um, I saw the glass fall, and I felt something. The glass hit the ground, and as soon as it hit the ground, what happened? Uh, All these 
floods, all these thoughts of, oh no, I can now not do this. I can now not do this. It's another problem that I have. Um, I was planning on taking the kids out. I can't take the kids out now because now I got to sweep up the glass. Oh no, I'm going to get glass in my feet. Oh, I don't even know where the room is. All these thoughts come flooding into your mind. Mm -hmm. Then you start thinking about, oh, well, this glass was there because um, little Joey just didn't put it away, right? You know, I told my wife to buy plastic. So it's, it is in an instant, but there are a thousand thoughts that flood into your head in that instant. And okay. each of those thoughts come with, come with a reactionary feeling, come with a, a, a feeling that, that you're processing at that time. And you break it down into the smallest intervals you can possibly break it down into, even if it's just three small intervals. So if you break it down into five intervals, for example, okay. at one of those intervals, you've now lost control. There's a point of no return. You're just not going back. But there's always one or two before that where you still have control. You still have the ability to experience a different emotion, to label it something different, to, to, uh, to acknowledge a different thought other than blacking out and lashing out. And that is the area of control where you're going to manipulate and change and redirect your thoughts away from anger. Was that a clear as mud? Or? <laughs> Go ahead. It's, it's getting there. Um... Oh, kind of sand no go ahead yeah so that is how somebody would look at their emotions or, or figure out what they're feeling in in retrospect right yeah in so that would be looking back on on an on a on an event or on a moment and and figuring out okay what what was it that I was feeling at these different times and, and when was the point that I started losing control but that would give them insight into how they experience those emotions yeah right and, and using that insight, they can figure out a strategy for at what point do I need to stop myself from giving into that emotion? At what point do I need to intervene? And yeah. instead of, of giving into that emotion, making a decision to react in a different way. When um, So when I was little, I was reading a book. It's called The Bernstein Bears, you know? And mm -hmm. Mama Bear was talking about how she had this little path that her wheelbarrow went on and she had ridden the same path every day and it became a big rut and once her wheel got into that path that little track going to her house she wasn't going to pull the wheelbarrow out that wheelbarrow was going to stay right on that track right down the same path it's always been year after year day after day mm -hmm. so that's true once she gets it in that path She's not going anywhere. That wheelbarrow is only going one direction. But her possibilities lie in the moments before she gets on that path. She can go uh, a million different directions. There are a million possibilities that she can uh, redirect that wheelbarrow. And, and that's the key. The, the key is when you're looking at primary and secondary emotions is to open up possibilities that you can redirect your emotions um, mm -hmm. because it can be anything prior to the emotion where you lose control. 
because it's set in that way, set in that path. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Bernstein Bears, man, they always like make life make sense. What were you saying? (laughs) I was just going to say, and and trying to change that uh, pattern, that's what makes trying to change that pattern so hard is because we have developed that rut in our behaviors and we just automatically and once we hit that point of no return we just follow the path we don't think about trying to do things in a different way and so trying to change that pattern of behavior that's why it takes time i i like to use the analogy of of trying to create a a trail through a jungle you know first you have to get the machete out and clear out a a walkway through the through the jungle and then the more you take that path the more it gets worn down the easier it becomes and it's kind of the same way with our behaviors at first it takes a lot of effort to change that pattern of behavior Um, and a lot of people give up after one or two tries when when it feels like you know it, it didn't work it didn't help changing doesn't help and or they feel like they can't change so I always have to encourage them to keep trying and keep working at it until they um, until it starts becoming easier and then eventually yeah, I, it becomes the new behavior and the the default reaction it's work isn't it definitely it's a lot of work mm-hmm. everybody everybody has an assumption that it's supposed to be easy but you're t- talking about your character you're talking about something that's a core about you and to change something that's your inner core I mean that that takes work Right. time and repetition mm, it's definitely. never meant to be easy so are we off track or are we still on part one okay so <laughs> how do you determine right how do you determine what you're feeling okay i think we beat that into the the just i think we decimated that answer uh how sh- you should react to something all right that's definitely an assumption that i think she should or he should that this person should get rid of how you should react to something yeah, I, I don't know if there is a, a definitive answer for that question. No, and I think that there's a right way to react to something. Mm-hmm. That's going to limit your possibilities of options. And I think right. you should try to keep possibilities open. I think the more... I'm having a problem with words today. I think okay. the better... <laughs> I think the better question would be, how do I want to react? I think that's, I think that's the beauty, man. And I don't think you should think about the should in that question, how you should react, because that implies that you're thinking about how other people or society or something is viewing you, and mm-hmm. it gives you like an imposition of uh, of reaction. Like this right. is the way I think you're right. How do you want to react? How do you want to carve that path into the forest? How do you want to react over and over and over again until you become the person that you want to be? Right. I mean, there's obviously going to be extreme examples of of ways you shouldn't react. Absolutely. But I think the, the field of how do you want to react to a certain situation or to a certain emotion, that's wide open. I think you need to look at how it is that you want to react. What kind of person do you want to be? Yeah, and you better plan for the future, too. Because if you want to say, well, I want to react to this now while I'm young, but 
when my kids get older, I want to react differently because I want them to emulate me differently. Well, that's not going to happen. How you want your kids to emulate you is how you need to start acting now because it takes a long time to entrench these things into yourself. Mm -hmm. And for more information about planning, be sure to check out our previous episode on goals. Sweet plug. (laughs) I thought I'd slide that in there. That was good. That's good. Should we go to the next one? Or do you sure. Have Part three. I find it difficult to read my own feelings. All right. Uh, so that one goes right back to what we were talking about, that uh, your feelings can be whatever you want. But how do you make, become more introspective? Um, going back to your ability to be introspective and your ability to have a larger vocabulary, how do you expound on that? There are tools out there that can give you more information about, you know, different feelings or even just a list of different emotions. Hey, what kind of tools are those? Well, you can, I mean, you can just Google emotions and, uh, or feeling words and get lists of different emotions. I actually have a card that I keep in my office. And when somebody is, is struggling with trying to figure out, you know, how do I express this emotion? I just hand them that card and it's got, you know, over a hundred different feeling words on it. And so they can look through that and say, well, well, this, you know, being frustrated resonates with me more than being angry or being embarrassed resonates more with me than just feeling sad. That's awesome, so that's one man. way. But I think in order to be more introspective, you need to set aside time just to reflect on what's going on and, and what it is that you're feeling. And that can be during times of, of prayer, or you can make it into a prayer time, which I would highly recommend. You can also incorporate it into daily practice like um, mindfulness, or if you exercise, that's a really good time to bring up situations and reactions and emotions and figure out what it is that you're actually feeling and try to work through that. I was listening to a talk a few years ago that was given by a priest and I've actually heard, I don't know exactly how many priests say this, but I I know I've heard more than one. I know I've heard at least two priests say, or at least caution people against reflecting on their feelings. And it kind of, it rubbed me the wrong way because you know, that's, that's my profession is helping people reflect on their feelings. And I think what they were trying to communicate was not that reflecting on feelings was bad, but that getting too wrapped up in those feelings, in those thoughts and in those memories, getting too wrapped up in those things can cause us to feel trapped. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I remember that a friend of mine, she uh, she ran a, uh, a group for sexual abuse survivors. And she mm-hmm. said that one of the big problems was that uh, the sexual abuse survivors did not want to let go of the feelings of anger because they felt that if they let go of the anger, that it would invalidate the intensity and the wrongness of the abuse. And so they continued to dwell on anger to uh, to not feel that invalidation 
uh, and then the problem was that they felt trapped by those emotions. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where yep. these priests were trying to go. I believe that's where Satan wants us to be, wants us to feel trapped by our feelings and our emotions, and wants us to not move forward and not grow, and especially not grow closer to God. But God wants us to be able to learn what we can from our experiences and from our emotions, or learn what we need to, so that we can grow and we can move forward and move closer to Him. Sure. That's one of the whole reasons we're here on earth, right? Right. To gain perfection. I mean, gain like uh, experience over those emotions and experience over our passions, desires. Yeah. I think what we read has, uh, so you always hear input in, input out. Um, If you want to expound on understanding yourself and expound on your ability to read your feelings and experience different feelings, then uh, pick up some good books and some really good authors who really delve into the human emotions and human understandings. And you're going to see in those characters your own feelings and your own thoughts Mm-hmm. Um, and then be very careful because it also shapes how you see yourself. So not only will you recognize yourself in those characters, but you will also change your perception of yourself while recognizing things that you never saw before. And so how you want to become is going to be what you put into your mind. And if you want to expand upon you becoming and and reading and understanding then put the good things into your mind and that will expand who you are gotcha last part you ready to go to the last part sure okay sometimes oh i find it difficult to read my own feelings sometimes and end up acting very apathetic so that's a big one right there apathy acting very apathy do 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 (laughs) That's huge. We could probably do a whole podcast on that. Probably. All right. So here's the deal. I want you to notice the last time that you felt depressed and all your energy is just gone. And you feel like um, that the smallest tasks are overwhelming. The smallest requests, the smallest jobs feel like Mount Everest. And when you do them, it's like walking in mud up the mountain. It's impossible to do, and everything seems hard. Okay. Depression, apathy, all that has a lot to do with energy, and it's hard to feel. It takes a lot of energy to feel emotions, to process emotions, to get excited about things, to talk to people, to engage to people, to do activities. It takes a lot of energy, and reciprocating that is that uh, the more you do these things, the more energy you get. So it's kind of like the catch-22 of depression. You need to do these things to get out of it, or you need to be connected emotionally to others to uh, feel uh, the energy to do it, but you don't have the energy when you're feeling down, and so you don't do it, and so you get more and more apathetic. So what I'm saying in that roundabout, I do have a lot of words today. So (laughs) what I'm saying is 
uh, to become more uh, in tune and to be more emotionally connected with people. You need to build up that energy. So to build up that energy, you need to be taking care of yourself physically. Okay, there. gotcha. I said it in like a couple sentences. That's much better. And to take care of yourself physically, you need to be getting enough sleep. You need to be eating healthy. You can't be skipping meals. And you got to look at your caffeine intake. If you Google mm -hmm. the word caffeine and depression or caffeine and anxiety, you're going to see page after page after page after page of how it messes with your mood. <laughs> so you, you got to bring that down. Um, you know what? My wife uh, is going to listen to this episode and she's going to, she's going to be going, uh-huh. Did you hear what Eric said? Uh-huh. <laughs> <Did you? laughs> that is true. I remember working with this lady once and she had been to multiple therapists and she was seeing her doctor like every other week to adjust her meds. And we went through every variable under the sun. And the one thing that changed everything. When she cut out the caffeine and started drinking water, her depression instantly went away. It was nuts. It's, wow. It's such an effect. Yeah, it doesn't work that way to everybody. I wish it was because then I'd be the greatest therapist in the world. Mm -hmm. But um, for her, at least, it worked that way. It does have an impact. So, yeah, energy, man. Boost so, energy, get to do things. Either reducing caffeine or eliminating caffeine eating healthier, drinking a lot more water. Right. Getting exercise. Not spending time, downtime alone with your thoughts. When we're alone with our thoughts, it's not always healthy. Like you have to be alone. You have to spend that time and, and, and look at your problems and embrace them and process your emotions. But after you're done, don't get stuck in your feelings like those right. Because you're just going to drag yourself down. Like after you processed it, move on. Get up. Get yeah. out of the house. Do not sit in your bed and review all the negative things you've done your whole life. I think that's what um, happens to a lot of people. And that's where a lot of people's energy goes is whenever they get stuck in their thoughts. And they're just focused on those. So yeah. what I, I recommend my clients do is write them down. Just get a journal or get a little notebook and, you know, as you're processing those thoughts and those feelings, get that down on paper. You know, what insights you've come up with, what it is you're struggling with, what it is you're feeling, get those down on paper. And there's something, it's not magical, but there's something about physically writing your thoughts down that helps get those thoughts out of your head. Yeah, there really is. I think it's, uh, um... This one uh, lady that I met, she uh, had wrote about language and how language impacts you. She did this big study on it. And she said that language was intersubjective, mm -hmm. meaning that as we speak it, it also changes our thoughts at the same time. And as we write mm -hmm. it, it changes how we think about what we're writing. It's a lot of power in that. Yeah. There is another parallel that goes along with that from, at least from... Catholic spirituality. I'm not sure if this is the same way if if Mormons believe the same thing, but when talking about spirits and demons and angels and, and things like that, they say that knowing the name of that demon or whatever gives you more authority over it. Um, exorcists will, will say this. And 
um, trying to figure out the name of, of the demon that they're trying to exercise gives them more authority over it. In Scripture, um, you know, the demons even challenged Jesus saying, you know, we know who you are, Holy One of God. And then at that point, Jesus forbade them to speak. And, and they say that he did that because he didn't want them to try to exert authority over him, which they wouldn't have been able to do anyway. But that that idea of having more authority over something by knowing its name also is true for for our feelings and our emotions. You know, that once we are able to give a, a more definite name to what it is that we're feeling, we have more authority over it in a sense yep. so that we can, yes. once we, once we understand what it really is, then it gives us a sense of more control and more authority over how we want to respond to it. It's beautifully put, man. Uh, so that's how we become less apathetic. Yeah. Is, uh, actually, we, can, uh, is that kind of, does that fit in with, uh, Mormon theology? Uh, no, it's, uh, we don't have anything in our theology like that, but, uh, we do have, uh, journaling is a big part of, uh, Mormon theology to okay. write it down, cool. to remember, to actually, um, creating the, uh, eternal perspective and keeping it in mind through journaling and through, uh, directing your thoughts into, uh, praying and fasting and, and keeping that, uh, view of life, the paradigm of life mm-hmm. is uh, is a big, a big aspect of Mormonism. Okay, journaling has a lot to do with that. That's cool. It's cool how things are very different. Mm-hmm. Anything else about apathy and? No, I think feelings? for me that sums it up. You want to be able to feel and connect on your feelings. You got to have the energy to do so. So to to kind of sum it all up. We need to take time to explore what our feelings are and give them a name depending on, and that depends on how we experience them. Our, the way we experience our feelings may be different than the way other people experience our feelings. And, and we need to look at how it is that we want to respond to those feelings and not compare ourselves to, to what we think or what other people think we should do in terms of responding. And if we want to change how we respond, there's ways to do that. It's not easy, but there are ways to do that. And one of the important things to keep in mind when doing that in order to avoid apathy is to make sure that we're taking better care of ourselves physically and mentally and spiritually. That is a wonderful summation. All right. Well, thanks, Eric. This was a good discussion. Thank you, TC. Okay, so everybody, um, hey, uh, so if you want to give more questions, uh, give TC, I want you to go to uh, TC's website, and on his website, he's got his email address, and you can email him with some more questions, and TC also does distance counseling, so for any of you who want to do some of these things, because they're kind of hard to do on your own. If you want TC to guide you and help you to do any of these things we're talking about or anything regarding counseling. Keep you accountable. Absolutely. Then uh, log on to his website, make an appointment. He can talk with anybody anywhere in the world. Um, What's your website, TC? Website is tclongcounseling.com. 
All right. So hit us up there for questions or uh, therapy. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. God bless. Talk to you again soon. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye.